Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Good morning, everyone. It is C.W. Hall, your host here on Health Connect South Radio. Thank you for making us a part of your day today. We really appreciate everybody who stops by to check out the healthcare organizations that we're featuring every week on our show. Joined in the studio, as always, by Jay Schaefer. Good morning, C.W. Happy Flag Day. (laughs) Ah, Well, see, I don't even keep up with the holidays. I I do have a flag out, though. Oh, good. Good for you. Very patriotic. Hey, I'm accidentally on point there. (laughs) I was going to say the folks at Health Connect South have been busy and we have an exciting new event that's going to come up in two weeks in Birmingham on Monday, June 27th. So it's going to be academic and industry partnerships. And they've lined up Dr. Mark Suto and Dr. Mike Everts to be the speakers now. But go to healthconnectsouth.com. And when you register, if you use the Radio X coupon, you'll get a discount for that. But I just want to let everybody know this has come up quickly, but I know they've got a lot of groundswell of activity behind it. So Birmingham, Alabama, Monday, June 27th in the afternoon. Easy little stretch over from Atlanta. And I know that the folks who've gone to these events have come back saying they were really great in terms of the information and the guests they were. Oh, yeah. The one in Nashville and the one in Raleigh, Durham, those were very well received. Yes. And so make sure you get out there to healthconnectsouth.com and get registered. Use the Radio X promo code. And get a little discount on your registration fee. And also, if you've not done so already, make sure that you also are all set for the upcoming annual event in September on the 21st at Atlanta, the Aquarium. Georgia Aquarium. And you can use Radio X coupon for that as well. They're all set up in the systems. I tested them myself. And we spend some time talking about med tech innovation. And much of it is happening around here in the Atlanta area. It's growing and expanding. And today is another one of those organizations that is looking to take advantage of digital uh, technology to be able to make information more available to us as as individuals and potentially patients. And I know electronic medical records have done some measure of, of, I guess, advancement, if you will, in terms of trying to make it easier for my information to flow from one delivery source to another, but it's still not quite right in terms of being perfect. And we have Pearly Dingreff. He is the founder and CEO of an organization called Healthy People. And uh, I, I appreciate you taking some time to join us in the studio this morning. Thank you. Now, from what I understand, you had spent some time at CDC in the past. Talk about your background and how you got to this point here. Yeah, I spent about 10 years at CDC in the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System, which conducts, uh, at this point, around 500,000 telephone interviews a year. And when I joined, it was around 200,000. And the idea of increasing the number of participants was so you could get more granular, geographically granular data, because back then you could pretty much get only for the states and around 200 or so counties. Well, when we increase the sample size by interviewing 500,000, we end up with only about 300 counties. So there's 3,143 counties in the U.S. with only data for 300 counties, assuming it's all representative. To make matters worse, when you want to look at the county-level data, what they do is aggregate seven years of data. And the most recent of the data sets are two years old. So on average, you're looking at a four and a half to five year moving average. So when anyone talks about what's the rate of smoking at a county level, you're talking about what it was on average five years ago. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of our policies are based on is seven years of aggregated data for 2,800 out of the 3,143 counties. I realize that that particular part of our conversation isn't a big part of our focus this morning, but one thing I'm interested about as it relates to going through and conducting surveys like that these days on the phone is I'm curious about what today's technology does to the survey respondent mix, if you will, because think about the people that actually have home phones now. My house (laughs) has a number, but I don't have a phone. This is my phone right here. This mm-hmm. is the number you call CW1. Um, and I know that that is true for at least a number of people out there. I'm curious how the... Over 40% of the households are cell phone only households. Right. So in BRFSS, one of the things we 
looked at since 2000, the participation rate of 18 to 44-year-olds kept declining from 2000 to 2010 and because it was also only landlines. So 2011 is the first year that BRFSS has cell phones in it. And we had about 10% the first year, 15, and then 20. But currently, it's close to 50% of the homes are cell phone only. There's still additional problems beyond the 18 to 44, and 18 to 24 is even worse. Minorities also don't participate in surveys or participate at much lower rates. And we make the assumption that those who participate are the same as the ones who don't, those who do and don't. Exactly. And when you make that assumption, that allows you to do what we call weighting or raking. But it's a pure assumption. There's no evidence for that. In fact, there's evidence to the contrary. Yes. Someone who's not participating is qualitatively different than someone who who is. I mean, how much more clear would you want it to be? But there's no other way around it. As long as what you're going to do is hang your hat on a probability sample that you're calling. So it's true. It's a probability sample of phone numbers. It's not a probability sample of those who responded. There's a pattern to non-response and it's observable over 10, 15 years who are the ones who participate and who doesn't. And so that led me to actually starting Healthy People. So that was one of the issues of looking at the quality of data. Second one was the cost. It cost $100 for a combination of cell phone and landline interviews for 20 minutes. It was a 20-minute survey on the phone. It's costing close to $100. Online costs less than $10. So the other phone surveys are taking about two years between the design the collection and then dissemination of data. An online survey, we can turn around in less than a week. So time, cost. Now, the pushback we get is the quality because they have a probability sample and representative, whereas online surveys are not. Well, there's been a lot of work done by people like Gary King from the Institute of Quantitative Social Sciences at Harvard, uh, Andrew Gelman at Columbia University, etc., So there are methods to make non-probability samples behave like or mimic probability samples. And one of the simple techniques is what's called sample matching. So you draw down a true random sample from the American Community Survey where you you don't have that issue of landline cell phone, you don't have the issue of non-response. And when you draw down that sample, then you go into your panel and match individuals as close as possible to the ones that you download, you know, that you drew down from the American Community Survey, which is done by the U.S. Census. So then you come up with a, a proxy for a prop probability sample. And when I was at BRFSS, we conducted about two years of studies, um, New York, uh, Georgia, Illinois, and Texas, and also one MSA in each, New York City, Chicago, Houston, and Atlanta. And we compared those to BRFSS. And they were pretty close. And, and within one month, we were able to do each state and each MSA for something that the equivalent would take us, as I say, you know, two years to do. So now you're able, you say, through the census data or census information that comes in, you're able to acquire some online t- information as well that or or contact information, if you will, that might be able to be utilized. How to, no. no. How does it flow? The American Community Survey, about 2 million plus people per each year. So when you draw down, you have the demographics of a re- representative sample. And there are a number of questions that are also asked about smoking, about health insurance, etc. So when you draw down that random sample, you use as many of these variables to match from a panel that you have, a proprietary panel of your own. So typically market research has panels. So you would go into the panel and invite people that you who have indicated they're willing to participate in surveys. So here you're, in essence, matching and finding people who are willing to participate, who have already indicated they are. In the case of probability, what's happening is you're calling, most people are saying no, and then some are saying yes, and you're saying that that's a probability sample. So these two... Yes, statistically, theoretically, one is a probability-based sample. You can make certain inferences that you cannot or should not. But our point 
And there are others, we're not alone in this, that actually you cannot draw those inferences till you know that the non-respondents are the same as respondents. And till then it's... So there's been a lot of pushback, but even APOR is coming around to accepting that that we need to develop some techniques, some ways of dealing with it, because we cannot continue with the telephone surveys, the random digit dial. it's just un- not feasible. Not. Sure. And and the purpose of these types of surveys is to get us at what? Just to just kind of get a sample of how many people say, yes, I smoke or various health type affecting behaviors. Right. So typically that's why BRFSS is done. That's the only data available to most states. And as I said, about 300 counties. So what we refer to as a prevalence estimate. So you know what that is and you can allocate your dollars or your policies as a federal, state, county, or local health department can then kind of see what would be, what are the priorities that they need to deal with, as an example. Talking with Pearlie Dingra of Healthy People, and I'm curious because with the emergence of the electronic medical record, clearly it's not entirely implemented. Not 100% of the practices out there are utilizing electronic medical records, including many government <laughs> facilities. In <laughs> fact, some of the, they're some of the worst in terms of implementation. But there are many out there, over 80% of the practices uh, that are around today have an electronic medical record of some sort. So how come we can't pull that data well, absolutely. instead of trying to rely on a, a, on a phone number? Yes, absolutely. That would be the ideal way of doing it. A couple of things. One, you'd require, you'd need permission from the individuals. Yeah. Uh, second is the data needs to be normalized and harmonized or and interoperable. So mm-hmm. these e- mm-hmm. EHRs are not the right. same. Right. So even though you may have a Cerner or uh, Epic, each implementation of this could be different. So yeah. what Emory has like Emory has two different systems at Grady and Emory Healthcare. Those who don't, <laughs> you know. So I see, but. There are some companies that are normalizing and harmonizing that their API is available for 60 to 70% of the U.S. population and that we can collect that. There's still a problem, too. I went to a presentation with IBM Watson, and they said mm-hmm. that even if you get the, do you smoke, somebody checks it off in their me- medical record, no, they pull in data from social media that they like mm-hmm. cool cigarettes and they have pictures of <laughs> yeah, them smoking yeah. and all the rest. Right. So even the self-reported data is not always accurate. That's correct. Yeah. No, that's a very good point because in NHANES, uh, they, which is the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, ask you a similar question, do you smoke, yes or no? Then in the blood draws, you can tell whether a person has been exposed yeah. to smoke or not. But even on things like, you know, what's your height? Males report being slightly taller than they actually are and women report being slightly less weight <laughs> than they actually are. And again, there's a pattern to it. It's yeah. a, So you've spent some time working around data collection uh, with CDC, that evidently began to give rise to an idea what you could do to begin to aggregate some of this information maybe in a different way, uh, put it in a different place such that it can be utilized both by the individual but also to support uh, clinical trials and survey efforts, things like that. So talk about the genesis of what we're talking about today, which which is the Healthy People platform. Yeah, so that's exactly what led me to it. I saw the challenges um, that we had been having at PRFSS and it would get worse as time goes by because just to go back one step on the cell phone, the challenges with cell phone are even more so than with landlines. So with the landline, at least you know where that phone number is based. With the cell phone, if you want to draw a sample of Georgia-based cell phones, well, many of them don't live in Georgia. Yeah, so when they keep we, the number. Right. So when at BRFSS, you complete interviews in Washington, D.C., and you ask them, where do you live? They say they live in Virginia. Half of, half of the people who live in Virginia say they actually, I mean, you complete the interviews in, with a Virginia phone number, they say they live in D.C. So what do we do? We just swap them out. That is not statistically correct to do. <laughs> but what else can you do? Yeah. So you can do a national sample, but when you come down to gra- geographic granularity, it's still a ch- challenge. So with seeing those issues of cost, quality, time, uh, participation rates, et cetera, it's, there's got to be a better way. Not to mention that the individual is left with nothing after they complete the survey. They get a thank you. My intention was, one, let's set up 
a system where an individual can integrate their data from all different sources. And by now, you know, Fitbits and Apple Watch, et cetera, are coming along. Because they're in Fitbit, you'd have to have a Fitbit account and you can see only the Fitbit data. Yeah. Now, if a few weeks later or a year later, you switch from a Fitbit to a jawbone or something, well, that's the end of your Fitbit data. So then you'd have to go to someone like a MyFitnessPal or something else and yes. do it through there. These types of issues, the social network aspect of it, the health literacy aspect of it, et cetera, none of them really take care of. So I was trying to create an environment where people not necessarily um, use it like a Facebook and all the time, but at least have a place where all your health records are, do it as passively as you like. So just connect up your phone. Your phone has the ability to collect how many steps you walked. So if you use the Moves app, which is an excellent app, that data flows into healthy people as well. So, or if you have a Fitbit, so we can connect any you know, few hundred different apps and devices, uh, your medical health records. Plus, we have also the ability to collect beacons. Beacons are about $10 a piece. And you can put one in the bathroom, in the kitchen, in the bedroom. Now it knows how many times you went to the bathroom, how many times you went to the kitchen, how, many, how much time you're spending in the bedroom. Now, one would say, you know, why do you need to do that? Well, part of the reason is if you think about the story about the drunkard looking for his keys <laughs> under the light <laughs> and the policeman comes by, he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm looking for my keys. And he says, where did you drop them? He said, I dropped them over there. He said, why don't you look there? He said, it's too dark. <laughs> so yes, researchers also only look for data where they can find it. And if it's under the light, that's where you look. Doesn't mean it's there, but that's all you've got available to you. And the problem you come with this is, you know, they also talk about in a dark room or dark, pitch dark, and you hear hoofs. Well, if you were in the U.S., you would say it's probably horses. But if you were in the Africa Serengeti plain, it's probably zebras. So how do you know what these hoofs are? I mean, these are only symptoms. So it's issues like that, you know, uh, no doubt we don't have a clear idea how do you get this to be 100% perfect? But we don't know what we have right now isn't perfect anyway. So why not move in the direction of where we can improve things instead of continuing to try to fix what we have? Like if you recall, you know, with Ptolemies in the Greek, mm. the idea was kind of geocentric, everything with the earth at the center. They were able to predict really well where the stars would be and where the planets, et cetera, would show up. And then when something didn't fit, they could still tweak that mechanism and get it to work reasonably well. After they kept doing it, it got so complex. But the moment they made it into a heliocentric universe, all of a sudden you didn't need to fix any of those equations. Mm -hmm. It would. So there all these fixes that we do, whether it's to the survey data or others, the challenge is we shouldn't have to do this. And as you said, if individuals have this about themselves or the electronic health records are there, which are, objective measures in many ways. A lot of this goes away. You can collect the data if individuals give permission and you don't, and you can do it in real time. And you could do it, you know, you don't have to spend millions of dollars collecting this type of data. So it's clear that something would need to be done. And I took the initiative and there are others who are doing different aspects of it. So ginger.io does regarding mental health. They do an excellent job, but it's a proprietary panel. There's a community panel called um, Patients Like Me. They have about three or 400,000. Excellent work that they're doing. But you can't access that data. As a researcher, you have no access to that data. So if you want to set up a research study and say, you know, to patients like me, I want to license and approach these people who are willing to share their data, you can't do it. With ginger.io, so it's a similar thing where it's, these are closed or what we call walled gardens. So Fitbit, yes, they've got sleep data on millions of people every night. But that doesn't mean you as a researcher can log into Fitbit's platform and do that. So we decided to design the platform that would be open so researchers can invite their participants to come in and recruit people or use the panel that's already there. So they don't have to recruit themselves as the panel grows in healthy people. They could do it. Or, as I said, they could just invite and recruit their own participants for the studies. So who are you trying to reach? I assume me and my family to engage with the, the platform such that I begin to 
tie my Fitbit to it, tie my fitness pal to it, tie my phone to it. So it's mm-hmm. uploading my steps or whatever mm-hmm. device is doing that for me. And as I add those, then the picture of me and my health behavior, I guess, becomes more and more robust and it becomes aggregate. It's not, as you say, device dependent. My, I don't use that right. device anymore. And it's in the cloud. If tomorrow you switched from an iOS to Android, doesn't make any difference or don't use either of them and you're going to use the desktop or a tablet to be a truly platform independent. How are you reaching your users to let them know this is available? Up to now, we've only been doing beta testing with various universities. Uh, Three universities, in fact, selected us as their partners, industry partners for NSF grants. So there's Emory University School of Nursing and the School of Medicine. Temple University, in collaboration with uh, the sites were the Department of Health and Environment, Public Health and Environment in Colorado and of Philadelphia. So there's a pilot that's awaiting approval from NSF, if you get that. And the third one was University of Missouri and Johns Hopkins for studying uh, people with <coughs> autism. So up to now, it's been primarily small studies and beta testing by researchers. It's not really open in that sense for individuals. Healthy people, um, I think it's just today or in the next couple of days, the app will be in the store in the Android and iOS is probably a week or two weeks away. So we are right at the cusp of actually launching where individuals can uh, integrate their data all the way from EHRs to others. Are, are there others doing this now, like Quantified Self? Or No, Quantified no. Self is a, is a movement per se, but uh, it, n- nothing of the scale that we, we have as a platform. Okay. And what you were saying earlier is that as some of these research partners who are helping to beta test the platform up to this point, they are offering access to healthy people to their study participants? See, uh, Our business model is, and I was talking with Jay earlier, all the way from the contextualized self, so an individual collecting data about himself or herself for their own benefit and not sharing it with anyone. So those are what's also referred to as studies of N of one. So you eat an apple every day for a week and then you don't eat next week, see what happens. You walk 10,000 steps next week, you don't. Drink a glass of wine and so you experiment on yourself what's going on. So we have the contextualized self, that would be one platform. Healthy people is a community, much like patients like me, but again, patients like me, as primarily people with rare disorders, whereas healthy people is for, for all. And then we have a platform for what we call platform for contextualized research. So in the platform for contextualized research, the re- researchers or the universities license the platform and they invite participants. But the app they download is then called Contextualized. It's just for their studies. Whereas Healthy People is our own community. So the parent company's Public Good Ventures Limited. And under Public Good Ventures, we have one massive database with these are multiple front ends. Think of it that way. So you can go in from any of, and they have different features. And just recently, in the last few days, we have entered into an agreement with MOSA, M-O-S-S-A. It's a company here in Atlanta, in Marietta. They provide fitness programs for 700 plus fitness centers. And recently they signed an agreement to provide it also for all YMCAs. And they're the, they're the fitness programs on Xbox One. They're estimated between 3 million and 5 million individuals use or exercise to a MOSA fitness program. So we've signed an agreement with them. It'll be a MOSA app, a MOSA wellness app that's available to all their members. And if YMCA would want it, then they would have a YMCA app that's available. So they're white labeling your that's correct. Your your it, technology. That's correct. So as those users come on from their various channels, then they funnel in and populate your platform. They have the choice to. They're not obligated to. because They can what, either have it be the contextualized, which is the end of one. It's myself. Right. I see it. I, I keep it and use it. Or I can toggle a switch, that's if you correct. will, and say, make it available to studies or surveyors. Ab- 
Absolutely. And the business exactly. model is you license to the researchers and it's free to the end user? Yes, okay. to the individual. And and so then there's, in the startup world, they say that if the product is free, then you're the product. So it's in my... A, so in a case, yes, because it's a multi-sided <laughs> platform. Mm-hmm. To the extent that it's free for you, see the difference. We are giving you the option of not sharing it with anyone. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Google where Google, is the search engine is free. But you have no choice in the matter. They're collecting this data on you. We are not. This is your data. You're collecting it. You're keeping it. So the analogy would be Microsoft Health Vault. That's free. No one's using that data. So ours can be toggled to behave that way. No one's going to use your data. But if you wish to either receive care, to have a caregiver relationship, then you have to be sharing it with at least your caregiver. If you want to get feedback from your fitness trainer, instructor, you'd have to be sharing that data, whichever elements you choose to share, you know, how many steps I walked, what's my blood pressure, what's my heart rate. So, you know, so it's entirely up to you what, how you want to use it. And by toggling cer- certain switches on and off, you can, in essence, customize it for your needs. And then if you have you know, altruistic or research interest, like 90 plus percent of patients like me, with, I think there's an IOM study, agree to share their data for research purposes, de-identified. We recently did one with Interactive Autism Network from Johns Hopkins. And again, 70 plus percent of the mothers agreed to share their medical data mm-hmm. and their children's data for research. Mm-hmm. So this whole notion of people don't want to share isn't entirely borne out by research. Particularly if it's de-identified. It's de- exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. It's it's just it's a, anonymized in some way. That's 48-year-old right. female with that's XYZ right. health data. That's correct. What do I see when I log into the platform? How does it display? You know, what are all the what are all the things it does for me? Whether you use the app on your mobile phone, smartphone, or on the desktop or tablet, there's a dashboard. So you, f- you first come to a dashboard. The dashboard has fitness, um, medical, and clinical. So three tabs. So on the fitness, you'll see. How many steps you walked with your weight, height, um, heart rate, blood pressure. So there are, I think, about 10 or 12 measures that typically an individual is monitoring for themselves. And this could be coming in either you manually entered it in or you're using Apple Health App or Google Health, you know, Fit, Google Fit, or any number of different apps. So you don't have to manually enter in. They could be coming in from either devices or apps. So you're looking at your, and you can toggle on what you want to monitor. So Typically, an adult is not going to monitor their height. So even though height is essential for most studies and surveys, you don't want to monitor it. So you can turn that off and it won't be on your on your dashboard. And then you go to the medical one. It's every visit and what the diagnosis were, what the medications, what the allergies, what the immunizations, what the, the whole nine yards. How does there. that get to my application? You tap on settings and the Two options. One is for your fitness devices. The other is your medical. If you click on the medical one, you type in your um, health system. So if it's Emory, as you type in Emory, it'll show you it's Emory Grady or Emory. If you type in Piedmont, it pulls, starts pulling that up. Then you need your username and password that you have for your portal. Okay. So if you've registered yourself with your healthcare providers or the system, and Georgia or Atlanta, so Wellstar, Emory, and Piedmont, for example, are all on that on our system. We can get data from any of those. And it represents over 60% of the population. You can get pull the health data. You're able to, do you, if I'm a research organization or a survey organization, I guess there is some measure of uh, a licensing cost for yes. me to access your data. Yes. So there are a couple of different models we have. One is what we call the build, own, operate, and transfer. So that's typically for a public health agency. We're working with the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. So many organizations aren't quite ready for what we're talking about. So it's easier for us to do it for them, but with the understanding, with the agreement, that we'll transfer it over to them whenever they want. And so we start with recruiting participants for their panel. So it's not our panel, it's really their panel. We we wouldn't start it without theirs. And in the case of Colorado, it's called beheardcolorado.org. And there's surveys using it as a proof of concept for them to compare. And it's a paid um, 
project that we're doing to compare the BRFSS data as compared to this online and having their own panel. And the idea is to transition from that to where individuals actually download the app and they're able to then, as you were saying, get the health records and others de-identified or anonymized without having to even do some of the surveys. Clinical trials are obviously a, a good place to recruit users. Typically, they've got something going on in a clinical trial that they're trying to get fixed. Uh, they're looking for uh, some new treatment that might help their issue. Uh, I'm sure there are plenty of studies where the subjects don't have anything wrong or don't know that they have anything wrong, uh, so are otherwise healthy. But how do you get that healthy base of users to represent the non-sick person? Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Do you follow me? Yes. So... Ideally, studies should have a control group. If you don't have a control group, it's not as powerful a study as if you did yeah. have a control group. Second thing is most studies, and you know, Jay and I were talking about this earlier today, also about doctors not wanting you to bring in your person-generated data. They don't know what to do with it. They don't rely on it. But they also don't know what to do with it. It's not they don't want to. They don't even know if they wanted to. So if your blood pressure, which is a normal, quote, healthy person you're talking about, were to go from 110 to 115 over a month or two, and then from 115 to 118 or 120, if you went to the doctor and said, this is what happened to me, he'd say, yeah, you're doing great because it's in the normal range. But there's something going on. Your health, your blood pressure should not be going line, up. a trend line, yes. Yeah. So the trend line, even within the normal range, is an early sign that you may want to consider. It may be nothing. But this is the back to the horses and zebra. You know, yeah. if you don't have time for your own health and your well-being, so if you're not an activated, and there's a, out of University of Oregon, it's called a patient activation measure. And it shows that we, those who are activated and taking care of their own health are sick far fewer. When they do get sick, they recover much faster. They adhere to the medications, et cetera. So the idea is to really build a culture of health, our plan or idea, vision is for that. If individuals are doing it, I think they'll get much more comfortable both knowing more about themselves. So it's not just health literacy and knowing what this is about, but also seeing what is happening without being obsessed about it. So we don't think you should look at this three times a day. Look at it once a week, once a month. You'll begin to pick up if you saw the trend line and you know, you're walking more steps or less steps, what your mood was if you're entering that in. Uh, maybe it has you know, something to do with how much time you spent in the traffic. So moves as an app, you know, shows you your commute time. And we capture that as well. So you can see what your commute time is. Now, if you want to connect your, cute, your commute time to your blood pressure, you, there may be a correlation. <laughs> mm. Now, it, in the context of you know, um, how this data gets collected, so the Bluetooth low energy, BLE devices, they range anywhere from $50 to $150 for a glucometer, a blood pressure monitor, or weighing scale. So the idea would be, for at least for those who can afford it, so I'm sure the low SES socioeconomic status can't, we get that. But at least for those who can, to help move the industry, to help move the science forward, that if you replace your existing scale next time you bought, go buy a BLE one or same thing with a glucometer or blood pressure monitor. That way it gets automatically uploaded into that app, which connects with our app. And then you have now a continuous record. But you can also see it in conjunction with, as I said, depending on your commute, if it took you two hours as compared to usually takes you 15 minutes, what happens to your blood pressure? You know, just a simple. So this <laughs> is an N of That's one. an easy one. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So from a standpoint of, but how quickly you recover from it. Mm -hmm. So now clinical studies typically can't do that because they've been looking for the keys under the light. Mm -hmm. Because how would you collect such data? I mean, it's prohibitively expensive. So it's a matter of, I think, citizen scientists. So when you talk about N, N of one, beginning to learn more about themselves, share that with their friends and family, and then also with their researchers, which will make studies so much faster. NIH has a paper called Rapid Responsive and Relevant Research as by Bill Riley. And he shows that it takes six years from the time you apply for a grant to the time you disseminate the data. During those six years, I don't know if you have any idea how much the culture has changed, but NIH won't let you change the protocol for your study. 
So this is like, you know, if you said we're going to make um, landline phone calls. Well, over the six years, it went from 30% to 45%. People don't have, never mind. That's what the study protocol was. That's how we're going to live and die by it. Technology innovation it's, is happening so fast. It hasn't even been 10 years since the iPhone was introduced. And it, sounds, and it sounds like some of these research studies were rooted in the old days and you're trying to take advantage of what's going on. And now. even the IRBs right now are not very comfortable with allowing these types of studies. So, you know, they carry on about data in the cloud. Pentagon data is in the cloud. CIA is in the cloud. You know, they've all been hacked. It's it's like secure. we need to get past it. Yeah, exactly. Get past that now. <laughs> the, the cloud means somebody else's computer. That's all it means. That's, yeah. So there's security. Probably a safer one than yours. That's right. <laughs> could, could be. The other thing that I was struck by is a few weeks ago, we had Paula Dumas, who's head of migraine again. And she had said, the people who have migraines, which I, I didn't realize this, genetic order, their whole life, they have to spend their time figuring out what the triggers are. The more they learn about the triggers, they'll closer get to the cure. You said something about the health actu- activation or something. That patient activation. Patient measure. activation. So we... So I, one lesson, I think, theme that we're hearing is you're responsible for your health. You, there's things that you can do yourself. The migraine sufferers have to do it uh, all the time, but it's just something that this sounds like a tool to help people right. learn more about the trend line or the path that right. they're on. Because if you go to a doctor and blood pressure has been spiking or whatever, they have a Holter monitor for 24 hours. So it's not like they don't know that... N- Blood pressure goes up and down during the day or night, depending on when you took your medication, you need beta blockers, etc. Well, the same thing happens to individuals even when they're in the normal range. But you may want to know, same thing with your blood glucose levels. Yeah, you know, go have ice cream and you'll see a spike in your... And then how quickly do you recover from that? And go keep doing this again and again and see how you'll get your system tired out. And then, you know, 10, 15 years, you're likely to pay the price for it. So a lot of this doesn't happen overnight. But how do you get individuals to appreciate that it takes a long time for some of these things to happen, you know, for the adverse events to happen? But if you can monitor them as they, ha- as you're progressing in your path, <clears throat> and we have, you know, IBM Watson and others to provide natural language generated reports, and that would be our next, um, you know, iteration of these. So individuals don't just see data, but they're also getting feedback on what to do. Who is going to help you? recruit your numbers. It would seem that mass is a very important piece here from the perspective of the studies that would need to access your platform, but also just, as you're saying, empowering the community to better manage their health by becoming more aware of various health care, health data and biometric data that can flow in automatically. I like the fact that it's able to seamlessly and automatically import those pieces of data. So if I forget, it doesn't really matter. I'm I'm not derailing the collection of my information. So when I log back in in a few days or a couple of weeks, Mm -hmm. whatever, I can still see the picture. That's right. But where do you, where do you see yourself getting the masses? Are you, am I going to start seeing, uh, check out healthypeople.com on TV, (laughs) or are you going to Facebook or to Blue Cross Blue Shield or some sort of, you know, uh, the I mean, this isn't field of dreams just because you build it, people don't come. Right. right. So right. that's right. a lot of startups have yeah. trouble. I mean, with I can their think of a lot of potential dip- partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, med, uh, what's the what's the one? Sharecare mm-hmm. is, an, is another right. one where they collect a, a massive survey. Jim Alexander. When you're signing in, in for uh, an account that would have a, a pretty robust bit of information that would obviously be useful here. So, who, who do you partner with outside of clinical trials? Okay. So it's a multi-pronged strategy, and that's why all the way from the contextualized self-movement, which are a sliver, maybe 1% or 2% of the population, mm-hmm. to caregivers and care recipients, which is a very large portion of the population. So you've got 40 million caregivers in the U.S. So if, you've, if you have parents living in Florida, they're reasonably healthy, but they have two or three chronic conditions, and you just want to keep an eye on them. Uh, currently, it's, you know, hi, mom, how are you doing? What's your blood pressure? Or, you know, um, if it was your sister or someone calling them, you know, did you go to the bathroom? How many times did you go? Is the diuretic working or not? But instead of in asking them these questions, see, they're automatically connected. Put a beacon in the bathroom, put a weighing scale, and kind of how much time to spend in the ba- in the bedroom, et cetera. So there's a caregiver module. That's another 
recruitment tool. Then the ones with the, the state and local health departments in order to help them conduct their surveys and collect data, that would bring in um, both the revenue stream and people signing on. MOSA, which is the healthiest people from YMCAs to the gold gyms and other clients of theirs. So it's a multi-pronged strategy that we have. But the likes of ShareCare, uh, ShareCare started with, they bought a company called Real Age. And Real Age had 9 million people who had taken that survey. All That's all it was, is one survey. And it tells you at the end of it what your real age is. So, you know, with his WebMD background, et cetera, he's very smart. So he bought ShareCare, I mean, bought actually real age and a couple of other companies put them together and that's what ShareCare. And yeah, they would be an excellent partner for someone like us. But so would someone like uh, 23andMe, you know, where you've got, because we can also pull in 23andMe data. The genetic data. So tip IBM with IBM Watson, because unless you have the individuals and the, the ability to collect the data, you can't analyze it. Mm. So it's a stack of you need individuals, you need the data collection, you need the analysis, you need to be able to feed it back with some meaningful use. So it's a, you know, that's why we say a multi-sided platform like Uber, you need drivers in order to have the passengers, you need passengers in order to have drivers. It, so on the one hand, building the community so individuals are there, but researchers currently have to recruit patients anyway for their studies. So in using our platform, it makes it much quicker, much faster, et cetera, to recruit. And then at the end of a study, they're not allowed to continue to collect data on the individual. It would be meaningless. The study has a beginning, a middle, and an end. When it's over, it's a thank you, goodbye. So in our case, it's when the study is over, the individual is given the option, you can download your data, as a PDF or as an Excel into Dropbox, you can delete your account or you can sign up with healthy people and continue collecting data because it's on our database anyway, so they can transition over into that. And then, you know, not, now Apple Research, that's another quasi-competitor, but they run this problem that we see. It's researcher-driven. So if the study is on arthritis, that's all you can participate is in the arthritis study. What if a study came along for something to do with, let's say, diabetes? You'd have to download another app from Apple Research okay, and participate in that study. Mm -hmm. And then let's say you also have yet something else going on. Now, with hypertension, you'll have to download yet another app. And these data you can't then integrate in one place. And then when the study is over, there's no app either. So not only there's no data, there's no app. And that's what Apple Research Kit is. What are you looking for to make this happen like you're talking about? A broad scale, we've got millions of users. We've got researchers that are querying our data. What, what resources are you sitting around the boardroom right now saying, if only we had X or Y or ABC? Ideally, we would like this to be what our own vision is, which is creating shared value, solving social issues with the business model. So we don't really want it to be purely driven from a profit motive. So as a result, we aren't going to be really attractive to VCs who are looking for the next unicorn. Yeah. Their business model is let's invest in 100 and one of them will make up all the 99 we screwed up on, you know, mm -hmm. or, or the other 95. I don't think that's the right match for us. The match for us would be someone who sees our vision, who also sees the benefit of doing this, and it may be a wonderful, small, medium-sized company. So we don't really look at it from the standpoint of how can we have millions of users and make a lot of money? That's not the driver right, behind right. it. But at the same time, we do need money to sustain this because you, can't, you know, just the hosting uh, in a HIPAA-compliant, because all of that is hosted in HIPAA-compliant um, and it's on the Amazon cloud, but it's managed by Clear Data, the, who also manages for um, uh, UCLA Healthcare, WellDoc, 350,000 other healthcare providers. Mm. So it, it has to be secure. It has to be HIPAA compliant. Well, that costs money. The insurance on technology and emissions, the errors and emissions, that costs a lot of money. So the, to market this, to have the customer service and support, to keep your eyes open and on the radar for what's next in technology. So yes, we need funding, um, but I don't think we can 
compromise on this one main issue of ours, that it only be for maximizing profit. Mm -hmm. And if that makes us not attractive for VCs, and that's one of the reasons we don't even, haven't even approached a VC. But there are people like Andreessen Horowitz, um, you know, VCs or Vinod Khosla with Khosla Ventures, etc., who have invested in companies like Ginger.io and even uh, Sharecare, you know. I mean, they've, they've got plenty of money. We don't require that much money to do. Think of it even altruistically. So we, even though we don't have sufficient funding, we've also started a nonprofit called People Powered Health. And People Powered Health, Inc., just recently, a few weeks ago, the co-founders are Sandro Galea, who's the dean of the Boston University School of Public Health, uh, Jim Buder, who the, was the health commissioner of Philadelphia from 2014 to 2016, you know, earlier this year. He's a co-founder. And Vince Campbell, who was the chair of the Disabilities Working Group at CDC and myself. So there are four of us that founded People Powered Health. And the idea is that would be offered free to community health centers and other and nonprofits that can't afford to pay. So the, the agreement is, and the understanding is, as long as People Powered Health is not being paid for it, they can use the platform for free. But if they get paid for doing research, et cetera, then there's a revenue share model to can help us be self-sustaining. Mm -hmm. But the idea is, uh, we are, I would say 51% towards being um, more towards creating shared value than purely um, for-profit motive. We think we'll be shooting ourselves in the foot if we did that. Mm -hmm. So where do you go from here? What's, what's next for you? Um, in the next week or so, we'll have, as I say, the iOS app as well. Android is already there with healthy people. Um, we're working on a version 3.0, which allows us to do the toggling that we spoke about. So in about three to four months, we'll be, we'll be launching Contextualize Self and MOSA and the platform for contextualized research with healthy people already there. So I, I anticipate as early as late October, early November, we should be clicking on all cylinders, we have enough um, funding, self-funded to get to that stage. And at that point for us to approach, probably perfect for us would be strategic investments or relationships with um, healthcare providers, uh, systems, instead of them building. Because, you know, see, one of our challenges is no doubt they can build it themselves, for themselves. But is that really what they want to do is build it for themselves only? So if they can see that there's benefit to actually having the population be healthier, the population be more activated in there for a very nominal cost. So it doesn't cost them a lot to do that. Then they don't have to hold on to their customers like they're their customers because they really aren't their customers anyway. People can walk out and not be with that healthcare insurer tomorrow, whether the rates go up or whatever their reason is. So if we had either large companies who are self-insured. So in a way, large companies are health insurance companies anyway, mm -hmm. whether it's a General Motors or Coca-Cola, any others, they're paying the bill. Oh. So even for them, currently what they do is they'll give you a free Fitbit and kind of $100 off on if you fill the health risk assessment form, et cetera. But those to me are such token investments in actually building a culture of health. If you truly want to build a culture of health, it's almost like you need to um, contract it out, let someone else do it. Because individuals and in, who are employees will not share their data with the company that the company can then see. So it has to be that it has to be secure. They can't see it. Now the in, but they can see it in an aggregated view. Yeah. You know, what proportion of our females are doing this, our males are doing this, so mm -hmm. those who walk 10,000 steps, what benefits, what were their you know, health costs, et cetera? How often do they go? So those types of things... The, just like a self-insured company basically is contracted with an insurance company to manage the system, but they only the financial backstop to it. Like that, subcontract the technology piece of it and for nominal cost, it's like a dollar a month per employee. That's what it would cost. Right. That's all you'd have to pay us. Yeah, we had somebody else on the show. I can't remember the name now, but it's, it can be a little creepy if your employer has too That's much right. information They're about not you. So, do there's that. This, so the idea of the healthy people is it's more of you said it's an in of one or I'm willing to share my data. Right. Uh, especially there may be a chance for me to participate in a study that could help others as right. well. And the companies, you know, would, as I say, would benefit from that. There's, they never, they, they can't get sued for it. They'll never be able to see that. Right. So they're only getting the aggregated view of it. 
And as I say, individuals, uh, they should be able to see just like they can through the insurance company what their costs are. So they have the administrative data and cost data coming in from United Healthcare, whoever they're using as a platform. Like that, you would be using this as a platform, not just Fitbit. Mm -hmm. Currently, what they're using is Fitbit as a platform, right. which gives you how many steps you walk, and right. that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. So when will uh, people, healthy people be available on my iOS? Within a week or two at the outside. Okay. Within a week. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Oh. And it's available on Android now, now, but the version that has the, um, no, actually, yes, it's available now, and it has um, the medical and clinical data in it as well. Where do folks need to go to get information? They go to healthypeople.com. There's an explainer video right on the website. It's um, slightly less than two minutes, and, and it explains to you exactly how it works. It, it's actually very cute. And that is health-epeople.com. Health-epeople.com. There will be a link on the, on the, on the post. post yeah. right. And the explainer video, as I say, okay. clearly speaks to what you can do. Well, good. Well, we learned a lot about your company and your background today, and we hope that you learned about Health Connect South and that you can participate in some of our upcoming events, especially the one in September at the Georgia Aquarium. That's the I place to meet a, some serious yeah, potential partners. Right. That'd be great. Mm -hmm. We'd love to do that. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. If you've not done so already, go over to healthconnectsouth.com, check out their calendar of events, get registered for the one coming up here in Birmingham. And this, of course, as we were talking about, the September 21st annual event. And then... If you are checking us out on podcast, if you've not done so already, in the upper left-hand corner of the show page, you'll see the Apple logo there. That'll take you to the iTunes store where the Health Connect South radio show lives and subscribe to us. So that way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device to be listened to when it's convenient for you. And Pearly, thanks for taking some time. It's an interesting concept that you're putting together, and I'm going to be bending my mind about some possible introductions. I've already got one or two in my mind that Great. might that be at least worth you talking to. Yeah, it's a thank pleasure so to much. meet you, and thank you so much for joining us on Health Connect South. Thanks so much. It's a, it's a great opportunity to you know, share with you. And also, in a way, I get to test out ideas that we have. We think they're wonderful, but when you... <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope everybody out there listening to us today will turn around and share this information. You might just put something in the hands of somebody you care about that makes a big difference for them in their lives. So we'll say thanks in advance for that. And Pearly, hopefully we'll catch up with you once you all get really up and running and you've got the users flowing in and we'll see what we're doing with the technology platform Great. down the road. Thank you. All right. All right. Thank we'll, you. We'll see all you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.